Hello and welcome to the uh, second podcast um, from the second show of uh, All Back to Bowie's. This show was on the theme of the Scottish establishment. Our Bowie title was Tactful Cactus. I think it's a really uh, good show. We were a bit more in control. We were beginning to learn how to uh, how to do timing in the yurt and everything. It was a great audience, uh, quite busy, and um, I really uh, enjoyed the discussion. I think there was a super highlight as well from um, a Chrissy Barnacle just turns in a fantastic performance um, on this. And also Bram Gibbons uh, does a great poem. They're, they're both real highlights. Um, so I think all in all uh, it'll be a good listen. Um, thanks very much. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, um, and welcome to All Back to Bowie's. Um, welcome to the Bowie Yurt. I'm, I'm uh, David Gregg. Uh, this is uh, Laura uh, Eaton-Lewis, we're your hosts today. Um, so the Bowie Yurt, as you can see, we're on top of um, David Bowie's rooftop uh, apartment in Manhattan. If, it's, um, if you all just close your eyes for a moment. Can you, can you hear Manhattan outside? It's an unusually rainy summer's day in Manhattan. Um, I think if you just listen... Yeah, David's rehearsing. He's rehearsing his new album um, out there. I could just hear him singing. It's usually, he'll stop because usually about this time he starts to make a cup of... He goes to make a cup of Horlicks. And we're hoping he'll come in. Um... And, and be part of our ramshackle salon that we're holding on his roof. Um, uh, uh, but before that, uh, if he does come in at the end, obviously, do make him welcome. Um, before that, we, we, we were thinking about referendums and them being binary, and so we thought we should ask you the very, very important question and find out whether you are yes or no. And that question is, do you agree that David Bowie should be pronounced... Bowie. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so we have to count this. Sarah, can, can, Sarah has the tally from yesterday. So this is a very heavily Bowie audience. I, I'm quite astonished by this. So, Laura, you're a... I, I, I absolutely think it's a Bowie. Okay, so can, can, you, count, can you count the Bowies? This is, this is amazing. 29. And, and okay, well, be, you know, be bold. Do not be silent. No's. Tell us, tell us those of you who think it's B- B- Bowie. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 Um, there was originally a Dave O'Max option, which was, which was that he would be David uh, Jones, but we took that off the table, uh, so that's no longer available. Okay. Um, we do have one more task to you before we begin the, uh, the full-on uh, uh, hardcore entertainment that is all back to Bowie's. Uh, Laura, would you like to explain? 
Hello, everybody. Um, what we'd like you to do now is, uh, just while, while we're about to listen to our, our first guest um, giving us some beautiful, beautiful music, while, while that's going on, we're hoping this is going to channel some inspiration for you here. And what we'd like you to do with that is, we'd like you to answer a question. And the question, statement, more of a statement, finishes sentence. And the sentence is, the Scottish establishment is... Dot, dot, dot. So, dot, dot, dot. if you've got a pen or paper, anything you've got, just scribble it on the back of a flyer or something. Or if you need paper, um, uh, just scribble it on the back of a flyer or a pen or paper. If you've got, uh, if, you, if you need paper, we can probably hand paper about. But just finish the sentence, the Scottish establishment is. Um, and later in the show, if, if you pass them all along, whilst Chrissy's playing... Uh, while the song's playing, have a think about it, and, and at the end, we'll um, gather them all up in the Bowie Trilby, and um, we'll read some of them out. Um, we had some lovely answers yesterday to Scotland is, uh, Scotland is like, dot, 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 and they'll all get written down and um, put in the, go in the Bowie guest book, which in the very end is going to go to the National Library of Scotland, rather... Um, rather, uh, uh, you know, pompously, but it's, it's good. It's a, it's a document. Okay. And... Uh... So is everybody, is everybody all right with that? We're going? Okay. I think if Chrissy's ready. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, while you're having a think about that, and as the gentle rain patters on the yurt roof, and there's a leak I can see already, that's great. I hope nobody's getting dropped on. Okay. Uh, could I introduce our first guest, the absolutely fabulous singer Chrissy Barnacle? It was hidden in plain sight for those of you who wanted to understand. I was looking for my lead. I'm a little bit convinced that um, David Berry, or Bowie, doesn't know that we're here on his roof terrace, so that's a bit awkward. But this song is kind of about secrets also. Um, it's written about my, my, sort of my first secret, suburban, semi-successful, adolescent relationship, in which I was also a werewolf, which is definitely not a metaphor for anything. <laughs> this song is called Night Raid. Thanks so much for having me, everyone.
Wow, that was absolutely amazing. Everyone put your hands together again. Thank you, Chrissy Barnicam. Beautiful, just beautiful. Oh, and do you know what else is beautiful? One of the uh, spiders from Mars is in the kitchen making cheese on toast right now. But do you know what? David's going to be raging because he's burnt it. And um, there's a bit of a mess all over the oven. So if anybody's like feeling, you know, they want to do that thing where you go around and clean up in the middle of the party, please feel free to go through. Because, um, you know, he might come back. He might come back. And we're hoping that he does by the end. Um, now, we're going to introduce the, the next section of the show. Um, we're going to have a, a polemic from wonderful Peter Arnott. And I'd like you all to welcome to the stage Peter. Peter is a playwright and he has a show with Assembly Productions at the moment. Um, Janice Joplin, oh my gosh, I've forgotten. Full tilt, full tilt with amazing Ange Darcy in it. Um, I hear it's an absolute force of nature, so do go and see that. Um, everyone, please welcome Peter. As it's the Scottish establishment, I thought I'd I have a communication from their patron saint, uh, so I thought I'd just bring something. Uh, it's a letter from Sir Walter Scott. <laughs> Dear Scotland, what the hell do you think you're playing at? Does the word flodden mean nothing to you? I tell you this, I did not go to the considerable trouble and expense of inventing this country just so you people could piss it up the wall. We made a deal, didn't we? We were allowed to stay Scottish and we got to stick our noses in the trough. Wasn't that pretty good for us? Are you seriously saying that now there's not a British Empire anymore? That you just can't be bothered? Where is your honour, Scotland? Did you read my books? Didn't you get the subliminal message? Every 10 or 20 years, they come up here and knock seven bells out of us. It's all very fine you remembering Bannockburn. We didn't send them homeward very bloody often, did we? Look what happened to Wales. Is that what you want us to be? Pockets of chippy, incomprehensible buggers setting fire to holiday cottages in Perthshire? We got to stay Scottish, all right? Scottish is very carefully defined by heritage and shortbread. Not a rival bloody sovereignty on the same bloody island. The price of remaining Scottish was that Scottishness be harmless. Don't you get that anymore? Scottishness is fine as long as it doesn't piss anybody off. In 1820, at the end of the war against Napoleon, with the country bankrupt, the empire held together by a thread, this bunch of silly bastards, like you, decided to set Scotland free. Right? Scotland free, or a desert? So they marched on His Majesty's armory at Cannon, a bit like a bunch of students from Glasgow Caledonian University nipping up to Fars Lane to nick the fucking missiles. But of course, they got wiped out. But down in Whitehall, they started to wonder about the Scottish problem. Somebody had to do something, and it was me. I saved this country. That's why I'm on the banknotes. That's why my statue's on the pillars. All the tartan, all the nostalgia, all the gift shops, where do you think that just comes from? Do you think that all that just happened? Listen, the people who matter in this country, we don't want this independence of yours, all right? What would we want with independence? We're already independent. We've got the law, 
to protect our property from the mob, and the Kirk to protect our God from the Pope. What else do we need? Everything else goes our way. We have the best of both worlds. We're independent from London because London doesn't give a damn unless we're being annoying. And we're independent of Scotland because the mob here doesn't get to vote on anything important. Why would we want to mess with that? We've got our identity, haven't we? Jeez, so democracy is the last thing we need. And if the London government does some stuff we don't like, something unpopular once in a while, we can always say it's got nothing to do with us. See, it's total control and total deniability at the same time. Why would we mess with that? Take it from me. I invented this country, and I know what's best for it. I was the one who persuaded George IV to come up here. I was the one who dressed everyone in tartan. It was me who made this into a loyal, picturesque country for German George to look at. It was me that made an emotional identity out of yearning for a past that was safely dead and buried. All those whiskey labels, the clan tartans, all that tradition was invented inside the Union. Scottish identity dates from when I put pen to paper inside the Union. So whisper it. Without the Union, there is no Scotland. This is not a country. This is a costume. This is a golf bag we carry for the tourists. So we can yearn fine. We can lament, fine. But we don't cause trouble, right? Just remind yourselves that every single time we've got above ourselves, we got gubbed. So watch yourselves and geese my ball back. <laughs> Thank you, Sir Walter. Uh, um, so, we're going to have a discussion now. So, I'd like to welcome our very wonderful panel onto the stage. Um, please come up and we'll introduce you. We have, if, if you uh, sit there, and we'll unfortunately have to share a microphone. So, fantastic. So, the panel today, to discuss the question, we've, we've got, every show has to have a Bowie um, lyric as its title, and... Tactful Cactus, the Scottish Establishment. It seemed appropriate. To discuss that, we have Cameron Wiley. Cameron is the uh, deputy head of uh, George Heriot's. And if anybody knows the Edinburgh establishment, I would say it's Cameron, because to my mind, he is a pillar of it and has um, educated it for um, 20 years or more. Next to him is Andrew Tickell, who uh, many of us will know as Lalland's Peak Warrior, the blogger, um, but he's also uh, a, 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 a writer on constitutional law. And um, uh, next to him, we have Mandy Rhodes, who's the editor of Holyrood Magazine, um, which is the sort of, uh, I was going to say the in-house magazine of the parliament, but it, it basically is a... a, a, a it's not, no. But no, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, it does cover, in covering the Parliament and Scottish politics, I think it's definitely, uh, she's somebody who knows the Scottish establishment eye to eye. So perhaps if we begin with, uh, just, to, just to start. Okay, so first off, um, is there a Scottish establishment? And if so, 
What is it? Or who is it? You have your own. I think the idea of the Scottish establishment is probably as contrary as everything else that we approach. So I think it changes. And I think there's, as, as Peter said, you know, we've had um, an independent legal system, health system, church, um, education system. There are some people that think they are the establishment and are quite happy with their position. I think what the referendum has done is show us that a political establishment still think that sovereignty of power lies at Westminster and Whitehall. And I think there's been a lot of questions for everybody about that. So in answer, do I think this is an establishment? I think there are various establishments. I worry that you thought I might be one. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, well, yes. I mean, there are several establishments. If you look around um, in Edinburgh, I was always struck by how many sort of faces you can see walking the street who could be equally in the National Portrait Gallery today. The Edinburgh is a city which I find disturbing remnants of the establishment tottering around in pinstripe suits. But actually, folk like yourself, David, in artistic establishments too, we have to talk about that. I think actually if we're thinking about class, thinking about, and that's the issue we're not talking about, establishment neatly drifts over class. But actually in Scotland, our middle classes are expert at being invisible. That's their main function, talent, uh, working power, discreetly, quietly, behind the scenes into the Middle Ages. That's for me how well, what you what you train up these young young soldiers to be, essentially. Um, and, and maybe that has some good aspects, that has confident aspects about it, which is, you know, which which builds builds powerful little creatures that can take over India and rule us from Whitehall. And maybe you find that exciting. Um, but I, I think I think actually in Scotland the establishment likes um, avoiding it, the implications of its own existence and that cascades from the law through to literature because the Scottish middle classes love reading literature from which they themselves are excluded. I think in Scotland we have to think about those issues too. Well, um, if the establishment means something which has been around for a long time, which believes that it has a kind of right to power, then clearly the you know Edinburgh professional middle classes would justify being described as an establishment. But as Mandy said, there are lots and lots of different establishments in Scotland. And I mean, another institution which indisputably believes itself to have been in power and having a right to that power is the Labour Party. So the, the, there's a sort of significant range of different kinds of establishment in Scotland. It's quite interesting that you kindly said that you regarded me as a pillar of the establishment um, because of my uh, fact that you kindly said also that I've been doing it for 20 years but in fact I have been educating children privately in this city for 35 years um, two different establishments one of which you yourself of course graced and uh, oh did I say that <laughs> and I think I think it's quite interesting for me the number of people uh, blogging on the very very radical side of Scottish uh, in Dependents who who might who might also have been privately educated in Edinburgh, but that's a we uh, know not, them all. Not, not to sort of I don't mean that as a kind of outing thing. I just mean it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting point. No, but it's just interesting that you, that, that, you know obviously Edinburgh is unique in the sense that the, the, the proportion of privately educated children in, in Edinburgh it might be the highest proportion of privately educated children of any city in the world. I think I mean it's about twenty five percent of the population. Where else is is, 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 is does that exist? You know. And that, that, there's no doubt that that group within the east of Scotland has an enormous degree of power, and it might be interesting to explore at some point why that is. 
Um, you want to come back in? I was just going to say that I think one of the problems for Scotland, or I, I actually don't think it's a problem, but I think the establishment almost relies on an assumed deference, and I don't think we're very good at deference, which I think is a good thing. Um, and my mother actually reminded me yesterday, I was talking to her about this, and she said, when she took me to the doctor when I was nine, and she said, and I remember, my father was the local pharmacist, so we knew all the doctors, she said, you must remember to call him Dr. Huddleston. And I looked at her and said, well, I'm not calling him Doctor. Why, why would I do that? And it's you know, obviously just arrogance of a nine-year-old, but I just found it more polite just to call him nothing. And when I gave evidence to the House of Lords this year, I found I had to do the same. <laughs> um, just not very good at deference, and I just think Scots aren't. Um, I, I, I think it's quite... I just want to sort of push a little bit. There seems to me to be a tension in the independence referendum debate between um, people who, who are looking to independence as a way of kind of, uh, if you like, bringing in a new establishment, sort of overthrowing power systems, if you like. And then there's another sort of side, which, which is the possibility that... Uh, or some people are afraid of independence because they want, they, in a sense, they're thinking, well, aren't we just handing power to the already existing establishment? So is it, is it worth exploring that tension? Sorry, it's just because I've just written about this, I guess. But what would worry me would be, as Callan said, you know, the, uh, as Cameron said, the Labour Party have had an assumption of power for a long, long time in Scotland, and that's been um, tested by the SNP but you also see them just replicating a lot of the same institutions and establishments. And when I interviewed Sam and last, and we talked about in the event of a yes vote, he has already tapped the people on the shoulder that would join him in the big tent to go to London to negotiate on behalf of us. For me, that feels very, very wrong when I think the, the campaign has been, it has outgrown the two campaigns, and I think politicians have been quite peripheral to the debate we've all been having. And that grassroots movement, I hope, would not condone someone going off and negotiating on their behalf. Yes, you. I must, uh, I must say, I'm actually quite distressed. I haven't been tapped by Salmond at all. I was having high hopes that I might be able to represent Scotland in that environment. I should also say, just to convince, I went to private school as well. Uh, but in Glasgow, I know. And but the funny thing about private schools in Glasgow is, I, I was I grew up in Argyll on the west coast, so I, I turned up a sort of a, a bumpkin, and one of the little blazer types said to me, "Are you English? Is that an English accent you've got?" And they had no sense of themselves as being kind of for the rest of the Glaswegian population something quite apart. I think that's a different sort of Glaswegian kind of delusion that you find around that and, and we have to think, think about peripheries and centres here, I think you're right talking about the Labour Party, if we cast our minds back to pre-devolution some people had serious anxieties, rural folk, about being governed by an over-promoted Glasgow City Councillor um, who, which of course we were for a number of years, he says, in a partisan nationalist fashion, but I think, you know <laughs> we have to think about those sort of aspects about who, well what's the phrase, was it Jim Sillers, it's almost all of these quotable phrases are always Jim Sillers, but we have to think about taking sides in Scotland, as well as taking Scotland's side, it's got a nice kind of neatness to it. And I think, yeah, I mean, some people, Andrew Wilson, for example, who's a, an advisor to Salmond, I don't think he's here, but he, he once said that he wants the SNP to be the new... 
I think he is. Oh, no, no, he's an independent sort of free... He used to be in. He used to be an MSP. And he said that he wanted the SNP to be the new establishment. He says, I hope maybe the new radical establishment. Now, quite what work that word radical does, I'm not entirely sure. But I think, really, yeah, that we, there are these many different establishments we talk about. Actually, in Glasgow, these kind of working-class establishments, if you like, um, I think things like the Faculty of Advocates perform a very useful ideological function because you can say class happens in Edinburgh over there, so those kind of people, you know marble mouth people that live up in Murray Place and in Glasgow, no, we don't have class uh, we just have people up in the West End enjoying art and all of those kinds of things, and they're just, uh, you know, horny-handed sons of toil so I think in Scotland <laughs> we have an interesting attitude towards class and I think we can't divorce that from these wider conversations about, well, where are these establishments? I think it's interesting. I'd be interested to know what a radical establishment could conceivably be. I mean, it's sort of it's kind of really a sort of contradiction, isn't it? But I'm also interested in the idea that you, you were talking about that some people believe there will be a new establishment, that you'll hand over power to new establishments. And I just can't envisage what that new establishment would be either. Really, it would be some kind of concatenation of the old establishments, I think, coming together. The distinction would be that in an independent Scotland, it would be the Scottish establishment who is at least making the decisions all the time, rather than the British establishment, and very frequently a British establishment for which Scots have not voted at all. So at least that power would be in the hands of the Scottish establishment. But inevitably, whoever eventually comes to power becomes the establishment. So that if we accept that the Labour Party has become the establishment to some extent in Scotland, then that would have seemed a complete impossibility in the history of the Labour Party at various different points. And now quite, quite clearly it's involved. I don't think the SNP's really been in power long enough for it to be an establishment. But I certainly very much agree with, with Mandy that if the SNP's making mistakes, then it's making mistakes by being like the you know, Labour Party in terms of becoming that kind of establishment. Absolutely. It's... um. Just to come back to what Mandy was saying earlier about about the grassroots campaign, that it's been my observation that that what's happened throughout this this campaign is that that is that is really quite unique. Um, that the the strength of that grassroots campaign and that the number of different groups that have been campaigning and and growing this new kind of way of governing themselves actually is really quite extraordinary because it is powerful and it's working and there are many of them and they are working together yet retaining these distinct identities um you were saying cameron what what might a new establishment look like um, i would like to ask each of you what if if that establishment was to go beyond our um, middle and upper classes and, and embrace more of our working classes and these grassroots movements what what shape might that take I wanted to come back to you just on something you said about grassroots because I'll just share something that was interesting to me in the last sort of week I suppose I'd had uh, Jim Sillers is a columnist and a friend of mine um, but he has conducted I think 40 or 50 yes meetings in schemes of Scotland where we're told the battle needs to be fought since Margot died so that's a lot of meetings in a short space of time and he said Absolutely, this is the most negative man I know by um, Absolutely, yes, it's going to win, 55%. Day after, I had lunch with someone um, who I won't name, but it was a very, it was the advisor to Mandelson. And he comes up every now and again and just wants to pick my brains a bit about what's happening. And um, he said, absolutely, 55%, no. Right, so, we're, you know, I, we all know it's going to be close. 
But I then spoke to him about that grassroots campaign. I said, you know, Jim Sillers, who's been around for a very long time, he thinks he's very old. And he, um, he said he's never seen anything like it. But the problem will be harnessing it afterwards, whether it's a yes or a no. And um, sadly, the, the advisor, former advisor to Mandelson said to me, I have seen it all before and it will just dissipate. And I think, you know, for the first time we've had, I think, an establishment, a political establishment that we've lost respect for, is suddenly going to be faced with a politically engaged and energetic population, and it's the test will be what we do with that. Absolutely. I, I, just to pick up on that, I, I've, everyone that I've been speaking to has has been recognising that and that energy and going, what do we do with this afterwards, and and not not preparing for either scenario but actually preparing for both and saying that this this has really changed this has changed scotland irrevocably i think what in answer to your question about a new establishment what i would not like to see and some of it is just even in the way we respond to uh, cameron being deputy head at, at you know one of our most prestigious independent schools i don't think that's a bad thing cameron might not tell you but jim sillas took quite a lot of advice from cameron for his socialist vision of an independent Scotland and I hope we don't go towards a race to the bottom and assume that we don't want political leaders that have gravitas who have even perhaps been educated privately but, you know I think we we need to look I think people are looking at a political class that doesn't necessarily reflect them but I think what we need more than anything is experience yeah, on the grassroots, I think it's it's a very striking thing. I mean, I, I despite my ancient appearance, I'm actually quite young, and um, you know, people about my vintage that have been hammered flat by the economic circumstances, even folk that have had quite privileged educations, and you think, well, that tends to be a rather despair-soaking thing. You might just sit there in, in slump in your pants in front of the telly instead of doing anything. And actually, on, on the independence side, certainly, these young folk are, are gathering themselves and setting stuff up, doing it, being brash and assertive. Um, and I think. That's a really good thing to start off with. But secondly, I, I don't know about... I like your story about the doctor, but I don't know if it's entirely true that Scots tend to be kind of thrown and, and, and not deferential to authority. I think we see a great deal of dis degree of discomfort in the independence debate about the ordinary punter being involved. I think, actually, the, the phenomenon of the cybernat, of which I'm a particularly poisonous manifestation, um, you know, illustrates to some extent how awkward uh, the press sometimes and the political establishment can feel about ordinary people actually being involved in politics with all of the messy demotic uh, manifestations of that and I think in a sense it's very easy to speak rather warmly in the round of oh isn't it terribly good all these young people doing all this isn't it very good but that has consequences. You know, as it recalls the Sir Walter Scott phrase, I always like it, is, is it I can't remember, it's Mrs. Howden, is that her name from Heart of Midlothian that said it was great when uh, you had politicians in Edinburgh because you could eye-peeble them, you could patter them with stones to ensure that they were good bairns. Um, and in a sense, if we're going to have an actively involved politics, then the politicians have to be prepared for the peoples. And I'm not entirely sure they are yet, to be honest. Um, just to carry on not answering your question, the, uh, the, uh, 
the, it's interesting that, that you talked about you know, the, the range of grassroots movements that have been involved in the campaign, but of course what, what you really mean is the range of grassroots movements that have been involved in the Yes campaign, because the singular thing about the No campaign has been there doesn't appear to be any grassroots movement involved in it whatsoever, and yet somewhat perversely they are still winning. And you know, the No campaign's been pretty, pretty disastrous really in, in, in all sorts of ways, and yet and, and, and there hasn't been any kind of sort of, really pop, sort of popular or populist feeling about it, and, and yet um, you know still somehow this great mass, this great sort of great reward is still sort of sort of winning. The, the other thing I was going to say was that um, is just from the point of view of the, the, the sort of energizing that this is taking place with young people. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that 16 and 17 year olds could vote. Now, I'm not absolutely sure that, that probably Simon didn't think that if 16 and 17 year olds could vote, they'd all just go, yes, Scotland should be free and kind of all vote that way. And in fact, of course, the, the polls show exactly the opposite is happening and that, that 16, 17 year olds are in fact the group most likely to vote no out of the entire population. So it's misfired in that respect. But by Jove, it's really involved them in the process and, and, and absolutely genuinely. Now, I know that, that my particular educational environment is not typical, but we had a debate at Harriet's between um, Sir Mingus Campbell and Kenny McCaskill. And I've been inviting politicians to come and speak in schools for years, and very kindly they kind of turn up and they kind of go through the motions and they smile a bit and they, they, stand and they answer questions and then they go, and usually there's an advisor there who taps them on the shoulder and says, uh, it's time to go now. There was none of that in this instance. They sat and talked to these 500 prospective voters like their lives absolutely depended on it. And you know, at one point, at one point I thought Kenny McCaskill was actually going to cry. He was so moved by what was going on. And it was a real, sort of really battle. It was absolutely astonishing. I mean, I was, you know, they were soaked in sweat at the end of it. And that was because the 16, 17 year olds of them could vote rather than just be potential voters in the future. And that's a very good thing. What was the result? Uh, well, I don't, I, actually, because it, it just didn't seem totally appropriate for them to raise their hands and say, I'm voting yes and no in front of their teachers, uh, by acclamation, the result was no. But interestingly, what well, the question I did ask was, how many of you have changed your minds as a result of this? And everybody who changed their mind had to change their minds to yes. So right. it was quite quite an interesting thing. Not an awful lot of people, but, 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 but maybe 10% of the audience have changed its mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, if you caught me looking, it's just to keep the time going. So we've got about five minutes. I think it'd be interesting to open it out a little bit uh, to the audience. Um, if you have any comments uh, or questions or thoughts, uh, uh, and you're, uh, if you raise your hands, I'll come to you. And what I'll have to do is repeat the question into the microphone, be, uh, partly because people might not hear, but also partly because we're, we're also podcasting this, so uh, people will be listening um, as they jog along beside the water of Leith. Um, so the first comment um, it, it is from Andy Whiteman, though. Uh, Thank you. Um, uh, if, I just wanted to tell one, one of my observations of the Scottish political scene working in Westminster and Edinburgh, the Scottish Parliament was built to deny people access. So when you go in and you say you want to go to a committee, you have to get a wee badge and you're told to sit down and someone takes you. When I tried to go on my own, I was told by a security person that I would be arrested if Westminster, you just go through the external security and you can go virtually well, you can go to all the public places, any committee you like, you can go in and out, you can go to chambers, nobody bothers you. But we've built this environment within the Scottish Parliament that requires permission to get through that door into the place where you can actually pep all the politicians. Okay, there was a, a, a um, Andy's point, if I can briefly summarise, I'm sorry we don't have a roving mic, um, although it's wonderful that the BBC are here. Perhaps they can lend us some resources um, the next time. But 
the uh, Andy's point, which is interesting to me, is that the the, the Holyrood Parliament, in a sense, is built to um, to to sort of keep you out, and he's comparing that to the Westminster Parliament, where to some extent. Uh, you're able to come in once you pass external security. You you can sort of wander about. Whereas in the in the Scottish Parliament, um, you need security passes and you need invites, um, uh, uh, which is a really fascinating point. And I suppose it's interesting because I, I slightly experience it another way, which is since the Scottish Parliament's been in existence, I found myself going to it quite a bit. Usually with sort of delegations of artists on various things, but also my kids have been and and. So I've experienced it in a slightly different way, but I think it's interesting that you, you, you point out the sheer practicalities. Do we have any other comments? At the back? Can I, sorry, can I just come back to Andy? Because I was yeah. sitting thinking, aghast when he said that. But he's right, you do, once you get through security, you do get signed in for things, but you can also wander around. But, also, but I would also argue that the institution itself feels more open and less daunting than the House of Commons anyway. But I would probably also urge people to go to the Festival of Politics in a couple of weeks because that's something that Westminster never ever does and that is about opening doors up. And I you know, I would probably push the point you've raised with Trisha Marwick myself. Um, the comment at the back of That's a lovely point. I, I, so uh, uh, Bob's point there being that um, that uh, a lot of the teenage vote, uh, or at least the, uh, Bob's granddaughter was saying that um, she uh, she um, she's not going to make her mind up. It's the summer holidays, and she'll make her mind up a week before. And then it won't necessarily be the way her parents. One, one wee thing about that, that is that, that the um, schools have had r ranges of advice about what they're allowed to say, and, and, and this has been a real problem. Um, uh, both local councils and the Office of the Scottish Charities Regulator uh, for the private sector have said that, that, that schools have to be extremely careful to make sure that everything is appropriately balanced and, and so on and so forth. And actually, I think probably most schools in the uh, state sector have decided that they're just not going to do anything about it at all and just rely on external media. And I think that's a great pity, actually, that, that unfortunately that, that it's not really been seen as an educational opportunity across the, the whole country. Uh, that, that's only been my experience, uh, that, that, that schools just are totally shying away from anything to do with it. And I, do, I, I agree, I think that's an enormous failure, to, to whatever side of the debate you're on. Andrew. I actually, I recently went back to my beloved alma mater to talk to them about, about the, the European Court of Human Rights of all things. I was talking to one of their modern studies teachers about their independence referendum teaching. And they held, they held a debate between a Tory MP, MSP, sorry, and I think an SNP MSP. And the, the sixth year broke down 100 no, six yes. 
Um, you know, and I think there's an interesting point here about inheritances. When we're thinking about the establishment, we have to think about inheritances. And, and credit to your to your uh, young young lady. Uh, that's a very gladdening thing. But actually, many young people to some extent do reflect the prejudices of their parents and I find that particularly talking to young bourgeois uh, students of mine and things like that that actually this idea that oh god independence why would you possibly do that absolutely unthinkable uncritical um, and I find that so sad because the purposes of education is, is to be critical and this poor modern studies teacher was fighting fighting to even get these kids to take independence seriously to be critical about it and not to listen to that that voice which just says oh good grief why would we possibly want to leave the union so walter scott lives okay so we're do that's great we're just going to have to wind up this section now and just before we do i just want to ask each of you to give me a one word one word answer um what would you like to see becoming part of the establishment or replacing the establishment one word from each of you <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> I would vote for that. <laughs> That's profound. I, see, I'm just long-winded as you've already detected today. I find that very. I think me as well. People, me, and, more people like me. That would be splendid. Maybe we could we could cut it like the Romans did. They had co-consuls, didn't they? So we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, funnily enough, I think probably most people who vote yes would want less people like me in this establishment. <laughs> so, 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 not me, I suppose. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm liking the idea of the, the, the famous Newsweek cover that uh, set the Newsweek person of the year and they put a sort of mirror on the cover and that was to reflect the web 2.0 but I wonder if that is maybe the point is that we're looking to try to create an establishment which is a kind of mirror both of an actual mirror of Scotland but also a feeling that you could that you whoever you are and not just you know relatively pr privileged people uh, of the type uh, up on this stage but you could look back and say well that is me that is me up there in some way um we would like to now move on to our next section so laura will introduce hello everybody now we're going to have um a wonderful wordsmith come up and uh, share with something with you um, so i'd like you all to welcome to the stage bram Gibbon, fantastic poet journalist and he has a show with sam small you took you Oh my god, it's too early for me. <laughs> you took me apocalypse. Hands together for a Bram Gibbon, please. And also, if we could say thank you to our panel as well. Well, it's, it's very nice to be in Edinburgh, which is the home of banking in Scotland. And you don't get much more establishment than the banking system. Uh, this poem's called Burn. The banks and ATMs are all closed down. The shops will only barter for gold teeth and family heirlooms. Except, of course, the banks are never closed. No, they trade around the clock in silent algorithms faster than human consciousness can calculate. And that's why I'm burning all my money. I'm taking it out of the bank. Every penny or pound I can beg, borrow or steal because otherwise it isn't real. And I want to get the most liberating effect possible from burning all my money. I'm burning all my money because the devaluation of paper currency is inevitable anyway. And when they call in all my debts, what are they going to do? Send me more red letters, more pointless pieces of paper or put me in a jail cell for the crime of burning all my money. Meanwhile, the food bank queues are long and full of mothers. 
The welfare state is being sold off to property developers and pharmaceutical companies. Everything you pay tax on is being sold at a loss to corporations which display the traits of psychopaths. And I won't stand for that, so I'm burning all my money. I'm burning all my money rather than see it bail out another bank that was too big to fail or line the pockets of another banker who should rightfully rot in jail. And it's not like anyone's going to care about my lack of wealth, my empty belly, or my mental health. No, things will remain exactly the same after I burn all my money. I'm burning all my money in stacks and piles. I don't need an art gallery to film or frame this act. It is devoid of meaning. It is a statement about the futility of protest. (laughs) It makes about as much sense as burning all your money. I'm burning all my money as one in the eye for every two-car family, every celebrity who ever appeared on MTV Cribs with a white stucco staircase and a grand piano, two Porsches and a Ferrari in the drive, shills for a civilization with no regard for the weak, which champions mediocrity. I want no part of that. I'm burning all my money. I'm burning it to staunch my guilt for every slave who toiled and built this edifice in which my family bore and raised and trapped me. A hollow church of shopping malls with blood and hair upon the walls. With flame enough, I'd burn it all, just like I'll burn my money. I'm burning it as penance for the waste I've made of all its products placed for all the cancer I've embraced and every drug shoved up my face. Those sleepless nights and days in haze long up in smoke, just like my money. And until it burns... I will never be free to die. I light the flame and close my eyes. This grey parade of days will cease if you can't afford them. So burn your money. Yeah, burn your money because it makes sense. Burn it because it makes no sense. Burn it like a Vietnam, a Buddhist monk protesting the Vietnam War. Burn it like an oil field in Iraq captured by Allied forces. Burn it like a wicker man. Burn it like a blunt. Burn it like a torture victim face held over hot coals. Burn it because you will only spend it on things that will destroy you. Burn it because the things you own end up owning you. Burn it because you need more light. Burn it because you don't own it anyway. Burn it because it is admit is it is it is burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it because it is an admission that everything in this system is just corrupt and degraded, but it can still do one thing for us. It can burn. So I'm burning all my money. And I'm starting today. In fact, I already feel much better now the decision is made. I'm tearing up my mortgage and throwing it away, kissing the wife and kids goodbye, and walking into the sea naked, clutching nothing but a lighter and a fiver. (laughs) You won't see me for dust. I'm burning all my money. Great, thank you very much. That's brilliant. Um, a, I'm just reflecting. If when we all closed our eyes earlier on, I, you, you, we, you didn't know that Alex Salmond actually came in, and a couple of you got tapped on the shoulder. Um, <clears throat> so uh, if you feel that tap, you know what it is. I, it's uh, I didn't get it, but uh, anyway. Um, a, so we're all waiting. Yeah. So, did you all manage to write a wee sentence, the Scottish establishment is? That's fantastic. Could you pass them along to the end of the rows? And, Sarah, if you would come and... 
we, we, we wanted to have a David Bowie trilby, but we don't, we don't have one yet because the charity shops of Edinburgh have not. Um, oh, look, we've got a trilby at the back. Fantastic. It's Jen, brilliant. So we'll, we've got a borrowed David Bowie trilby, and we'll put the, we'll put the, um, the Scottish establishment is sentences in. And then um, we'll see we'll see some of what we've got. While we're doing that, um, are there any? Does anybody else have any reflections or thoughts or comments on the discussion um, uh, that that they'd like to bring in? This might be a moment. There's a lady over here. That's interesting. So the, the lady here was saying to counteract the um, the impression that the young are all voting no, her son in a in an Edinburgh State School says that every says that everyone in his class is is voting uh, is voting yes. Um, it's a very interesting. I think the the, the point about um, how young people are going is quite interesting because demographically, uh, 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 Cameron is right that the, the the initial polling certainly had them all as no. But it's, it does appear to be the case when there are school debates, there's quite a big shift. Um, and, we, you know, which is partly why the not being debates has been uh, such a problem. Grand. Uh, so here we have... Uh, so, Laura, would you join me and we'll just uh, see what we've got. So we don't, we don't know. These are, just, these are just... The Scottish establishment is... And we'll just do a few of them. Uh, Sarah, if you could keep me to time so that we've got time for Chrissy in the end. And uh, let's see what we've got. Whatever you want it to be. The Scottish subject is whatever you want it to be. A blend of self-made lairds and children of empire builders. The Scottish establishment is resident in London. The Scottish establishment is always going to be powerful but unhappy. Yes or no? The Scottish establishment is a primary source of sensorial pessimism. Scottish establishment is in need of changes. The Scottish establishment is wealthy. It suffers with false nostalgia. Oh no, it's suffused. Um, now, I thought that was a blank sheet of paper and I was thinking that was a really clever <laughs> response, but it, it is actually just written in very, very faint handwriting. So I will come back to that one. <laughs> uh, the Scottish establishment is to be established. The Scottish establishment is corrupt. The Scottish establishment is about to change. The Scottish establishment is in need of refurbishment. Uh, you don't have to take one of those because I'm not able to read that. Uh, the Scottish establishment is um, a lesser and more manageably sized of two evils. <laughs> Scottish establishment is currently located in Westminster. Uh, the Scottish establishment is probably more pompous than the English lot. And uh, I, I, I take a blow on behalf of them for that. Uh, pomposity not being in short supply from artists also. Um, the Scottish establishment is ready for a change towards a more humane system. Scottish establishment is embargoed by itself. 
I think we'll get one last one in. Uh, the Scottish establishment is too comfy. I thought they were... Uh, one last one? Scottish establishment is too powerful. Well, I thought they were great. I, uh, this, this is really interesting. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. Um, yesterday, we didn't have time for the audience to read out their... Um, to, for us to read the audience out. So I, I got them, Scotland is like, uh, was the question yesterday. And we got them in the Bowie guest book. And just to say, we'll put all of these in the Bowie guest book. So they all get written down. But they really were amazing. I mean, we had everything from Scotland is like a macaroon bar, um, uh, which was all a very elaborate metaphor about being rough on the outside, but, but very sweet on the inside. And also we had Scotland is like any other country, which I thought was rather splendid. It's been a wonderful all back to Bowie's. I hope you've enjoyed your time in the yurt. Um, uh, it doesn't look like he's coming. I, 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 I did hear him clattering about later. I think he's, he's making, he said he was making some gnocchi uh, uh, and he gets very, very caught up in his Italian cookery. Uh, and once he's into that, he just won't, you know, you just can't get him out of the kitchen. So he's in the zone. So it doesn't look like he's going to turn up today. However, he might turn up tomorrow. Tomorrow the discussion is Wham Bam, Thank You Ma'am, um, The Indie Ref and Gender Politics. Uh, we have an absolutely fabulous panel for you. Please do come along. Um, please also check out the website for all the other Bowie uh, debates that we've got. And if they catch your interest, please come along. I noticed we talked about Jim Sillers earlier on. We've got Jim Sillers on the 8th. Um, we've got uh, uh, Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, is going to speak to us on Monday um, and we've got a whole panoply of wonderful guests so thank you very much for coming please check out the podcast please tell your friends and last of all can I give a big rousing welcome to Chrissy Barnacle who'll close the show for us come up Chrissy and, and, uh, and last of all just a, a big big thank you to, uh, to Laura and to our panel and to Peter for the provocation so thanks to everyone who's been involved today and to Bram Gieben as well thank you thanks so much for having me back this has been a really lovely time thanks for inviting me dear. Um, yeah I always find it very stirring and interesting kind of listening to, to people talk about things that I, I don't really know much about and I thought Bram's poem was excellent um, and kind of made me very like emotional. So I thought to play you out and play my most angsty and emotional songs. So if you need to have a little weep at the end, the music gets very loud so no one will hear you. Um, the song I wrote um, is called Hazelnuts and I wrote it um, after I was dumped. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go out for a very long time. So my friends were like, can you start washing and seeing daylight again? So uh, it took me, took me to a place called Whole Foods, which is a, a shop where everything costs like three pounds more than it does anywhere else in the world um, but I hadn't eaten anything and I was just like I was like oh, I just need to eat something so I bought some hazelnuts and the only word I have for what happened to me that day was aphrodisiac I don't know there's nothing scientific in it I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen with hazelnuts but everyone in the car with me looked so much better than we usually did the motorway virgies looked more fertile than they ever have the night sky was opulent it was beautiful and I felt alive and connected for the first time in a while and I, I wanted to record how it felt in song, you know, to try and really like 
commit to art, amazing feeling was. Um, but eventually, I, I work really early in the morning, so I passed out at about four in the morning. When I woke up, everything seemed to be back to normal, really rubbish again. So this is the song I wrote after I woke up. Um, thanks for having me. I've been Chrissy Barnacle. I, I play all the time, so come see me if you like.
Please feel free to hang around and let's keep talking and hopefully see some of you tomorrow. Uh, uh, thanks very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that show. Just um, to put the plugs in for the different artists uh, once again Chrissy Barnacle uh, isn't she fantastic her EP is called Hazelnuts and uh, you can get it um, on SoundCloud uh, you can also get it from Chrissy if you see her gigging and she gigs around Edinburgh and it's really really worth checking out uh, Bram Gibbons uh, does poetry uh, performances uh, also on uh, around Edinburgh and at um, places like uh, Raleigh and Broad and so on. So he's worth uh, following um, if you can. A Peter Arnott's show uh, that he's done with Corbisset called Janis Joplin Full Tilt is on at the Assembly Checkpoint. It's really, really amazing. Mandy Rhodes, uh, her Holyrood. Uh, magazine is fantastic and the website is really interesting if you're a Scottish politics nerd you really can't do uh, better than that and they've got a website also an indie ref um, uh, uh, and uh, festival site so you've got to check them out and they're, and they're also uh, she's also on Twitter as Holyrood Mandy Andrew Tickell Lalland's Pete Warrior is a uh, just a fantastic blogger and his, he is followable on um, Twitter and if you just Google Lalands Pete Warrior, Lalands as in uh, L-A-L-L-A-N-D-S the uh, synthetic Scots of Hugh McDermott um, I don't know what Pete Worrying is but he certainly does it very well um, and I suppose we could plug uh, Cameron if you, if, if you want to send your children to George Harriet's to be part of the establishment um, then contact uh, Cameron Wiley I'm sure you wouldn't mind uh, I don't think, I think that's all the plugs we've got today thanks very much for listening bye